Amen. Uh, we'll be in Matthew chapter 4 this morning. We'll be in verses uh, 23 through 25. For those of you that are just joining us either in person or online, I welcome you that are watching online. Uh, I love you and I miss you. Uh, we're going through the book of Matthew, and so you can join in. Matthew uh, chapter 4, verse 23, it says, And Jesus went about all Galilee, <coughs> excuse me, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Then his fame went through all Syria, and they brought him to sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics, paralytics, and healed them. Great multitudes followed him from Galilee, from Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. What's going on in this story? Uh, we're continuing to see the beginning of Jesus' ministry, and so what Matthew is describing here is what Jesus is doing. So what is he doing? He's going around to the synagogues and he's teaching and he's preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And as he goes, there's sick people, there's paralytics and there's epileptics and all these different types of people. And so Jesus is getting those people healed. They had diseases and torments and they had demon possessed. It said that his fame increased. Everybody started to know about him. And so he went around from Galilee and Jerusalem and Judea and all these other places. What are we talking about this morning? Well, uh, the, the main thrust of what we're going to be talking about is the kingdom, uh, the gospel of the kingdom. And, and the reason why we're going to talk about it is because I think it's vitally important. Uh, Jesus talked about kingdom more than he talked about anything else. Uh, you can find out what's important to somebody by what they talk about all the time. Uh, if you're around somebody that's into fishing and that's all they are about, then eventually the conversation is going to turn towards fishing. If they're about, you know, lifting weights or cooking or whatever it is, eventually they're like, hey, did you hear about this new thing? Because that's just what they all want to talk about. All Jesus talked about was the kingdom. And excuse me when I said, when you ever say these things, you said all he said was all he talked about was the kingdom mostly what Jesus talked about was the kingdom. People will say, uh, Jesus talked about money more than everything else, but that's false. Jesus talked about the kingdom more than anything else. And so if that's what Jesus talked about more than anything else, we should have a very clear understanding of what that means. Uh, we have to know that. So, so let's just get into it this morning. Um, th- that's what I want to talk about first off is that Jesus is about his father's business. That's what he's about. And so Luke two forty nine, he said, and he said to them, why do you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? And that's what Jesus was about. Nothing more, nothing less. Uh, Whatever Jesus did and whatever he was about was what Father God wanted him to be about. Why? Because Jesus's mission was to please the Father, to be about what he was about. And what was Jesus about? Jesus was about the kingdom. Uh, it's interesting how God has led us through this process of being in First and Second Samuel for a few years that was really all about uh, establishing the kingdom of Israel. And then we move into Matthew. And now in Matthew, Jesus is talking about and preaching about the kingdom. Why? Because he's the king. He's the ruler. He's the ultimate Messiah. He's the Christ. He's the one that's come. And so what Jesus is trying to establish is God's kingdom. And so why does he want to establish God's kingdom? Because that's what God wanted him to do because that's what God has been trying to do since the beginning of time is trying to establish a kingdom where he can rule and reign, where he can be Lord of all, and we will be his subjects and we will do his, uh, his mission, what he's asked us to do. Uh, John eight twenty nine and, and he who sent me is with me. The father has not left me alone for I always do those things that please him. Now, Jesus was not a political revolutionary that worked within the world systems. 
Jesus was not a political revolutionary that worked within the world systems. That's not what he came to do. It wasn't his mission. It wasn't his intention. He was only about what the father was going to have him be about. This is in part why they crucified Jesus. The Jews expected that Jesus would come and become a political ruler, that he would be the king of Israel, that he would overthrow Rome. And so when he didn't do that, in their mind, they figured that's what Messiah was going to do. And because he didn't do that, then they crucified him. This is very, very important for you to ingest inside of your, inside of your head to understand this because Jesus is not a political revolutionary 2000 years ago. He's not going to be a, a political revolutionary today. That's not what he's going to be about. Today, there are many people who want to hijack the mission of Jesus and the church and turn him into their own political movement to accomplish their own political means. Listen, you guys don't know this about me, or maybe some of you do, but I know a ton about politics. I probably know more than most of you. It's part of my hobby. Like I, I literally read at least an hour about uh, what's going on in politics every single day. Uh, some people read sports news. I read political stuff, man. I, I know everything that's going on. I know the players. I know the parties. I know the good and the bad, the ugly. I know it all. But you will notice that I don't talk about that in the pulpit because that's not what this pulpit is about. That's not what this church is about. That's not what the mission of Christ is about. We as Christians should be involved in politics in the sense that like you should vote and you should have Christians run for office and we should be involved in that process. But that's not the mission of God on this earth. The mission of God on this earth is not to create a a Christian political system. That's not what, that's not what Jesus came to do. And so when people come along and they say, well, you know, Jesus would be in this party and Jesus would be a part of this party or Jesus would be part of this political movement. It's a lie from the pit of hell. Jesus showed us what he would do. And it wouldn't be that he would run for office. He didn't go and infiltrate Rome. He didn't go and change legislation. He said, you know what? We're going to, we're going to flip a script on him. What we're going to do is we're going to change the world through the hearts of people. And that's, what's going to throw this world system upside down. Now, at the end of the day, I'm going to vote for whoever's going to help the church. This is what I'm going to do. If someone's going to run for office and raise taxes 20%, but they say, I'm going to defend and support the right for the church to preach the Bible and exist. I'm going to pay 20% more in taxes and vote for the person that's going to help the church. Why? Because I care more about the church than I care about my money. And people say, well, you know, what about this political party? Whatever. I'm going to vote for whoever's going to help the church. That's just what I'm going to do. And then people are going to pass judgment on me and say, well, you know, this person's this way or this person's that way or whatever. I'm like, listen, man, most of those people are not doing God's work. And so they're just limiting what I can do in God's work. So if some way they're going to help me be able to accomplish God's work, they're going to get my vote. That's just how it's going to be. But people want to turn Jesus into something unscriptural. They want to tell him what he should be doing. Jesus said in John six thirty eight, for I've come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. See, if Jesus did what, what some of these people wanted, they'd have him running for political office. They'd have him changing laws and redistributing wealth and getting universal health care and fighting corporations and unionizing and marching for women and Black Lives Matter and anti-guns and pro-guns and housing the homeless and feeding the hungry and doing a toy drive and building a house or a whole host of other things. 
And if I said one of those things and you guys got all, oh, I can't believe he said that thing that's so important to me, then that's the reason why you need to change your mindset about the kingdom. Nothing sets me off more than someone who's got a picture at some political march and say, Jesus would be marching. Jesus wouldn't be marching. He'd be out there with a whip. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Now, as a pastor, I can't begin to describe to you the amount of people I've dealt with over the past 18 years that want me and you to get behind a mission. Happens all the time. See, we as a church, we have grown this thing into a living, vibrant thing. And so other people come by and they say, well, hey, here's the head of this church, the senior pastor, and he's got all these people together. And if I can turn his ear and I can turn his heart, then he can, I can use him to get all these people to move in this direction of what I think is really important. Now, let me me say this, is that as your pastor, I believe it's my job to protect you from those types of people. Because there's countless people that love to come in here on a Sunday and stand in the pulpit and and preach about something that's important and then get all of us to go out and do this thing that they want us to do. And it's good stuff. It's good stuff. It's not bad stuff. It's just not kingdom. It's not what God has called us to do. And and I'll give you an example. Uh, There's this one organization that is... Uh, they, they fight abortion and abortion's horrible. Uh, it's bad. And, and we should be against abortion. If you had an abortion, God can forgive you and, and move forward. Don't be condemned by it. But I can stand up and say abortion's bad and I'm against abortion. And this organization is against abortion as well. They do a crisis care uh, uh, clinic where they give uh, women an opportunity to get crisis counseling so that they'll choose to not have an abortion and let a baby live, which is a beautiful, beautiful work. And, and now this gentleman that I met with, I always have to clarify, he has not done this to me. Okay. Uh, he's kind and he's loving and he's respectful and all these other things, but he's come and he said, and, and we may do this in the future is he, he, uh, they do this thing where on Sundays they come and they bring baby bottles and then we fill it up with all of our loose change. And then they take the baby bottles that are filled with loose change and they use that to fund their mission. It's great. It's beautiful. But if that guy said to me, this is everything the church needs to be about. Like every Sunday we need to, there's people dying and there's people that are having abortion. Every Sunday should be fight abortion Sunday. Every Sunday should be, you know, we're going to, we're going to fight abortion and we're going to go to the abortion clinics after church on Sundays and everybody's change is going to the abortion. Like it's not the mission of the church, man. The, the mission of the church isn't to fight sex trafficking and drug abuse and homelessness and uh, refugees and all, all these other things that, that people try to pull and say, well, this is what Jesus would be doing. No, see, the natural outpouring of an individual who's been changed by the gospel goes out and does, the, does these things. The church's job is to equip the saints. God does something on your heart, then you go out and you do those things. You go out and change the world. But people come around with the pair of church organizations and want to change the mission of the church, and then all of a sudden we become a bunch of do-gooders that aren't doing the kingdom. The church is about this. Is it getting warm in here? Jeez, man, it's roasting. Luckily I have the power. It doesn't matter because this, this air conditioning will not even work because you guys are a bunch of hot mouth breathers. Close your mouth. Jeez, man. 74 in here. Gonna die. 
If I die in the middle of the sermon, you'll know why it was. Okay. What am I talking about? This is what the church is about. This is the mission of the church. Worship, discipleship, giving, serving, and fellowship. That's what we're about. We, we are in the ministry of existing. That's what we do. Every time we come together, every time we gather, every time the word goes forth, we are doing what God has called us to do. And anybody that comes in and tries to pull us in another direction, we're able to say like, that's not really the mission. That's not the father's business because we're going to be about the father's business. Now, people that say that the church is too church centric, they don't know their Bibles because the Bible is very church centric. The mission of the church is church centric. It all flows in and about and through the church. And whenever you see these organizations that get off kilter, it's because they're not connected to a local church. They don't have the local church standing with them. Now, what does this mean to you? Do not allow yourself to be pulled away from your father's business. And secondly, don't feel bad about it. Don't feel bad about it at all. You, you cannot do all things and be all things for all people. Your mission is to please God. And, and what will happen is, is that someone else will come into your life, either through a, a, a Facebook post or a meme or some article and say, this is what your life needs to be about. If you want to know what your life is supposed to be about, it's, out, it's outlined in the word of God. And you, you have to settle in your spirit that when people are trying to pull you in a different direction to be able to say, man, I got to be about my father's business. I got to be about my father's business. And, and what will happen again, people will come and they'll say, Hey, you know, church should shut down on Sunday and go and do this thing. And I'm like, no, cause God's called us to gather. Like that's the mission of the church. Like that's what we're supposed to do. God, God deserves and demands to be praised. And God, God needs the word to go forth so that we could be discipled. We need to fellowship one with another. The whole point of church is to build us up, to get through the week, man. You take that thing out of all of a sudden we're a bunch of weak and sickly people that can't serve other people. We've got to please God. Galatians 1.10. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Friend, you have got to settle this in your heart that pleasing God and being about his business is the only thing that matters to you. No matter what relationships that it costs you. Read your Bible. See what happened to people that took a stand for God. Do, 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 do you see anywhere in the scriptures where Paul, after he was flogged and beaten, that he decided to say, well, you know, maybe I should take a different approach. Maybe, maybe I should just stop doing these missionary journeys. Maybe I should stop preaching the way that I'm preaching. Maybe, maybe I should just change the message. Then people will be excited about what I'm doing. Or he was like, you know what? I'm on a mandate from God. I, I'm, I'm on a mission. I got to be about my father's business. Come what may. And it's going to cost you relationships. It just will. You have to settle that in your heart. You know, people talk about in the book of Acts, Acts chapter two or three, I think it's three, two, three, somewhere in there. You know, when it was written, it didn't have numbers. So you don't have to remember that. It's just in Acts. So in Acts, when they talk about how the new disciples and they came and they gave everything up and they had everything in common, right? And then people will turn that, well, you know, Christians are supposed to be communists. No, that's not really what that's about. Um, they, they did, they did have communal living during that time. But the reason why they did that is because when you became a Christian, you lost your job, you lost your family, you lost your means of support. And so the church had to come together and support people to be able to live because they lost their means of living because they became Christians. It doesn't happen today in this day. 
yet that when you become a Christian that you lose your job and lose everything. It, it's coming, but it's not where we're at right now. What you lose now is your relationships. That's what you lose. And, and so what the church says, the church says, we will be your family. We will love you. We will fellowship with you, that we will take care of you. That's what we say to each other. And, and, and so that's the sense of communal living that we have now is this sense of like, dude, we're all family and you see it, man. You guys are like a bunch of school kids. Can't keep you away from each other. People love being with each other. And the truth is that people struggle with being about the father's business because they want the things of this world. They literally find the Christian life restrictive and boring. And I love the God life, man. I love it. I love worship and I love fellowship and I love being around God's people. I love talking about the things of God and I love reading his word and I love listening to worship music. I love eating pork and talking about Jesus, you know? It's one of the greatest indications that Jesus broke the old law. The time you eat pork, you say, thank you, Jesus. Second Corinthians five, nine, therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent to be well pleasing to him. And I remember when I was a kid, my mom would send me out, out of the house and she would always remind me to be on my best behavior. Did your mom ever say that to you? Yeah. Remember to say, please remember to say, thank you. Don't be weird, right? (laughs) Maybe your mom didn't say that to you. Because it's pleasing to your parents. You become a representative of them when you're out there in the community. So your parents remind you and they say, act like how you've been trained. Please them in, in, in absence. Psalm 40, verse eight, I delight to do your will, oh my God, and your laws within my heart. And so what was the business of the father? What was the business that Jesus was consumed with? We see it in verse 23. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Isn't it interesting that Jesus went directly to where the people of God were meeting in a building to go and talk to them about the kingdom of God? little interesting, isn't it? Preaching the gospel of the kingdom. See, when the Bible says that Jesus went about preaching the kingdom, I think it's very important to know what that means. Now, we're, for uh, uh, the next portion of time that we're going to be together, I'm going to talk very distinctly about what it means to, uh, to preach the kingdom. And I want you to ingest this into your psyche. Now, I understand that like you can get distracted while you're here because you're I don't know, I'm boring or it's on your phone or it's hot or you're thinking about what you're going to eat for lunch or anything else. Like, listen, man, I've sat through preaching before where I'm like, boom, check out. And someone's like, amen. I'm like, yeah, amen. Whatever you just said. (laughs) I get get that, okay? It's hard to listen to anybody talk for 40 minutes. Your mind goes in and out and you start thinking about other stuff, okay? But for the next just like five to eight minutes, I really need you to pay attention, okay? It's like, (laughs) this will be on the test. Okay. <laughs> and, and if you don't pay attention to this and you don't get this, or you don't even understand it as I talk about it, I need you to go back and re-listen to this sermon over and over and over again until you get it. This is central to who we are as Christians. And if you don't know this and you can't articulate it and you can't defend it, the world will pull you in the wrong direction. You'll, you'll be off start trekking in the twilight zone and you'll just be gone. 
When people say good news, gospel, or kingdom, you will find many definitions of what this means. Now, this is important because we're going to be in Matthew for the next few years, and I don't have the time. We don't have the time every week to redefine kingdom. We don't have every week the time to redefine good news. So you've got to ingest it, know it. So as we go through this over the next few years, you're like, okay, I remember. I know what kingdom means. Okay, I know what gospel means. Now, I was going to talk about uh, false gospels and false kingdoms, but that would take too much time. What's easier is for you to know the true gospel and the true kingdom. Uh, It's like uh, the U.S. Treasury Department is in charge of uh, the money for our nation, right? And so the the treasury officers, when they are uh, uh, researching about counterfeiting, they don't spend a lot of time looking at counterfeit bills. They don't show them all the different ways that they counterfeit bills or whatever. Do you know what they teach them? They, They give them the real article. They show them real money. They spend uh, countless hours understanding what our real currency looks like. So then that way, when they grab it, they're like, this isn't a real bill. When they look at it, like, dude, this thing's fake. Like, how do you know? It's like, because they've spent so much time looking at the real article that the fake is so like, dude, that's fake, man. It's just like, get this thing out. What is it? Listen, I've been doing this for years. I know what the real bill looks like. This thing is totally and completely fake. If you know what the kingdom is, then every time a false kingdom or a false gospel comes in, then you'll be like, dude, that's not gospel. That's not kingdom. Because there, there are a bunch of them, man. And, and, and so I, I don't have time to go through every last one. You're just like, no, that's not kingdom. That's not gospel at all. The word gospel simply means good news. And the term translated kingdom means the realm in which a sovereign king rules. So A kingdom means that there is a king that rules this kingdom. And what he says happens. And what he does, does. And he's the ruler over that kingdom. And and so you understand kingdom, then you understand rulership. You understand submission. You understand leadership. You say, I am in the kingdom of Christ. He is my leader. He is my king. He is my uh, complete authority. If Jesus is not the authority over that kingdom, it cannot be the kingdom. And that's part of why Jesus came to preach the kingdom is because he wanted people to submit to the rulership of Christ. He wanted to submit to the rulership of God, that he would be their ultimate king. Going back to First and Second Samuel, showing how earthly kings are broken. Earthly kings are not perfect. <clears throat> God's trying to establish a kingdom. The kingdom that he's going to establish is going to be where Christ is the ultimate king, where Christ is the ultimate ruler. Now, for the time being, this kingdom is not of this world. It's not of this world. And so if anybody's trying to create a kingdom that's of this world, then you can say, "Mm, that's not what Jesus said. If they're trying to create a political kingdom or a political movement or some sort of sort of kingdom, like, eh, no, because this is a very important distinction. The kingdom is within our hearts. It's not an actual physical structure. It's not a a governmental structure or rulership. It is within us. We do not create it. We live it. Jesus said in Luke chapter 17, now when he was asked by the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God would come, he answered and he said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation. You're not going to be able to see it. Nor will they say, see here or see there. For indeed, the kingdom of God is within you. And this is a very, very important distinction because people will try to hijack the kingdom to turn it into an actionable item instead of realizing that kingdom starts in here. 
Kingdom is heart. Kingdom is Jesus is my ruler. Jesus is my king. I'm going to submit to his rulership. And him ruling me is not like me becoming part of something. It's me submitting to him as my king. But people will come and they'll come and label it as kingdom work to try to entice you to come and take part. John 18, 36, Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Because Jesus' kingdom is not from here, you cannot stop his kingdom. You can't, you can't stop it from happening. This is why people were so frustrated with Jesus. Like, Jesus, overthrow Rome. Jesus, rule and reign on the seed of David. And Jesus is like, no, dude, we're not doing that. Like, we're going to change your hearts, and that's going to change this world. Christ is going to rule in our hearts. He's not going to rule on some throne. Jesus shows us exactly what the kingdom of God is and how it's manifested. See, the Bible leaves clues. Mark chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. Now, after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. So there it is, right? Preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. Now, immediately after that, in verse 15, we see what he was preaching as the kingdom of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That is the good news. The good news is that we were sinners that needed a savior, that we can turn towards Jesus in faith and be forgiven of our sins. And then the natural byproduct of that is that when we realize that we've been saved and we've been set free, then it produces righteousness inside of us. That's why legalism is putting righteousness on somebody who's ungenerated, because if you've been regenerated, you don't have to be convinced to be holy. You don't have to be convinced to be righteous. You just naturally become more loving and more holy and more forgiving because of everything that's been forgiven of you. That's why the message of Jesus, the message of the kingdom was not political work. The message of the kingdom is you are a sinner and you need to turn back towards God and receive forgiveness. Now, if you accept this, if you accept this truth, if you accept the truth that Jesus Christ came to save sinners, then you become a citizen of heaven. That's how it's not because of work. It's not because of doing. It's merely belief in Christ's payment for our sins on the cross. You believe that? Boom. Citizen of heaven. Philippians 3.24. Our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, man. I can take this so many different directions. This is why why I don't care what the world does. This is not my home. They punched my ticket. I'm ready to go. It's, it's time for me to go back home. It's time. Like, I, I, I don't need to be here any longer. I need to be in heaven with my Jesus. He's my ruler. He's my king. And anybody or anything that tries to rule me outside of Jesus, I'm going to reject. I'm not going to follow. I'm going to do what Jesus asked me to do because he is my king. Now, if you reject God's free gift of grace and remain in your sin, you cannot be part of the kingdom. This idea that God's love reigns supreme and, and God's love does reign supreme, but it does not reign supreme over living in your sin at all. It just doesn't. It just doesn't play at all. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? 
unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. And the Bible actually lists what some of these unrighteous deeds are. Neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, sodomites, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. There's a very clear distinction between kingdom living and non-kingdom living. And the Bible is very clear about it. People that are living in their sins that have not received Christ will not inherit the kingdom of God. They won't go to heaven. They, they won't spend eternity with them. This, this idea that somehow, it, and, and I don't know why people want to play these games in their minds to think that like somebody's going to heaven who's not going to heaven that never received Christ. It's unbiblical. You don't get to live in your sin all day and then all of a sudden Jesus just goes, well, this person you know, had, a nice, had a nice motorcycle. We'll let him in. It just doesn't work that way. The grace of God is that anyone can enter into this kingdom. But it should be a challenge to say that Jesus said it would be difficult to be able to get in. And then he said few would find it. Matthew 7, 14, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. Many people that think they're going to heaven are not going to make it based on what the Bible said. Narrow is, the, narrow is the path to life. Wide is the path that leads to destruction. And some people say, well, you're being judgmental and you're being narrow-minded. Man, I'm just being Bible-minded, man. Doing everything that I can to get as many as I can to heaven before Jesus comes back. We leave the kingdom of this world and we enter into the kingdom of our Savior. And that rulership is in every area of our lives. Romans 6.18, and having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. In the same way we used to be slaves to our lusts and slaves to our desires of this world, we now become slaves to righteousness. And we say, Lord, I want what you want, and I'm going to do what you want me to do, and I'm going to live how you want me to live. That's what my life is going to be about. And living in the kingdom is us living by God's standards for his people. And it's getting other people to come into the kingdom and experience his grace and mercy upon their lives. And because of this, we reject the world's habits, the world's values, their lifestyles and ways, because this is not our home. We've now become visitors on this planet. It's, it's, uh, it's like when I was in the military. Oh, there we go again. I would go to these, na- I, I only went to two different nations. I went to Bosnia and I went to uh, Egypt. I was stationed in Bosnia for six months. I was in Israel for a year. We would go there and, and our goal was to help them get what they needed to do, but we were just visitors there and I wasn't going to live there. I'm not a resident of Bosnia. I'm not a resident of Egypt. I was there for a period of time and I was subject to their laws somewhat while I was there, but I was still under the constitution and I had my own leaders and I had my own rulers, but I'm not going to live there. Like in Bosnia, you got to be kidding me. No way. Not going to live in the Sinai desert either. I'm not living there live in America, right? Same thing with our home here. Like it's nice here, right? I mean, dude, honestly, even with all of our problems, America is still the place to be. You know what I mean? Minus the fact we don't have any toilet paper, it's going pretty well, you know? (laughs) Rows full of steaks and Nabisco crackers. This ain't my home. This isn't where I'm going to spend eternity. I'm just a visitor, man. Like, I'm glad that I'm here, but this isn't my home. The kingdom is turning from sin and the world. 
to receive Christ's forgiveness from sin and then living as citizens of heaven while on this earth awaiting Christ's return or being called home. That's why we can't be so worldly minded like about the world's things and the world's problems and just be so, when somebody gets overwhelmed about the world's problems, I'm just like allegiance problem, citizen problem. Like the world's going to world. They're going to do what they're going to do. Like we're never going to escape it. Like you think that it's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. And we're just going to be like, oh my gosh, can you believe what the world did today? It's like a crazy drunk uncle or something. You know what I mean? (laughs) The way we grow the kingdom is getting other people to respond to the message of the kingdom. And if you don't share the message, there's no kingdom. And then there's no response. There's no kingdom. No talk of sin. No kingdom. That's why I fully reject this sloppy, agape, easy peasy, namby-pamby love gospel. It has not produced righteousness in the church of America. It has not. It's it's created a bunch of half-hearted followers that lack conviction and live like the world and then say they're living in the kingdom because they, you know, halfway raised their hand in some emotional service and went back to their sin. That's not the kingdom. The wrath of God produces righteousness. And people say, well, that's not very loving. Well, what Jesus said a whole lot of stuff that wasn't very loving. He chastised people and said, you're living wrong. You need to live right. And if you don't live right and you don't repent, you're not going to make heaven. You're going to be burned like a bag full of sticks. Read your Bibles, man. Have you committed to understanding and being able to articulate what the kingdom means? Could you explain it to someone else in a few sentences? Do you understand it? And again, remember like eight minutes ago when I said, we're going to get really heady and we're going to get really thick. And some of you guys are like, I checked out. You're like, oh yeah, what's he talking about? You've got to understand this so that people will not pull you in another direction. You got to be able to articulate. People say, man, why? I don't understand, man. Why do I, why do I got to be a, a Christian and do this? Well, this is what it means to be a Christian. Why do I got to? Well, this is what it means to live in Christ's kingdom. He's now my ruler. He's now my king. I do what he asked me to do, and I don't care what you ask me to do. It's cosmically important that we understand it, be able to articulate it. Because getting into the kingdom of Christ is getting into heaven. You don't want to get this one wrong. You can't not understand kingdom and think that somehow you understand heaven. Because the kingdom of heaven is Christ's rulership. See, the, the Bible says you're going to get a new body. It doesn't say you're going to get a new brain. But when we, and, and, and listen, this is very, very important. When you die and you go to heaven, heaven is going to be uh, submitting to the rulership of Christ. And so if you're not submitted to the rulership of Christ in your life on this side of heaven, you're not magically going to get to heaven and then all of a sudden submit to his rulership because it's not a demand of rulership. It's a submission to rulership. That's why God made you and birthed you and why you're here on this earth so that you can learn submission now. So you can learn kingship now. So when you get to heaven, you, you don't get, the learning doesn't happen in heaven. You just go to get to serve him with all the evilness gone, where he wipes away every tear and he no longer has to, we don't have to deal with sin anymore. Like finally, and I don't have to deal with all this sin. I can just worship God all day long. There's going to be buildings. There's going to be streets. There's going to be work. There's going to be all this other stuff you're going to do in heaven, but it's going to only be the people that want to submit to Christ as ruler. And if you don't want to submit to Christ as ruler, you're not going to heaven. It's just not. 
It's not, it's not some magical, like raise my hand and all of a sudden I get a be. No, he wants to rule you. He wants you to be ruled in his kingdom. 55 times the word kingdom is in the book of Matthew. And if you don't understand it, you'll be thinking the wrong things as we go through this, man. And to understand the kingdom, read the book of Acts. See, the book of Acts comes right after the gospels and the Acts, they, we call it the book of Acts, but it's called the Acts of the Apostles, the actions of the apostles, what they did. These guys that heard the message of Jesus and were around Jesus, then they went out and they did his work. And you know what they did? They preached repentance. They preached forgiveness. They preached turn from your sin and turn towards God. They prayed for people to get healed. They didn't go out and open up soup kitchens. They didn't go out and feed the homeless. They didn't go out and do acts of service. They preached repentance. That's what they did. Did you know the word love is not even in the book of Acts? You will not find, they didn't go out and preach God's love. They went out and they preached God's wrath upon sinners. And then they must turn from their sins and turn towards a holy God. And then you fall into the loving arms of Jesus. You're like, oh man, this is the best. (laughs) Do things the Bible way, get the Bible results. They baptized people. They didn't infiltrate government. He didn't give out money. Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. That's what he said. And again, this isn't to say that that stuff is bad or ungodly. Give away your money and let's all do acts of service. Because I, I mean, it's great, right? But that's just not the work of the kingdom. This is why getting acts of service do not get people saved. We, we, you've seen it, man. People that are steeped in their sin, they'll take any help that you want from them. And there's exceptions. It, it happens. But usually where it happens is when the rubber meets the road and a person says, you know, man, you need God in your life. You're steeped in sin. You're an offense to God. You're a stench in his nostrils. Unless you repent, you're not going to see the kingdom, man. The American church is filled with people who want to serve, but aren't saved. They want to play their instrument. They want to work with kids. They want to be around the buildings and people let them serve and think like, well, somehow they're going to magically come to Jesus. And it just, just doesn't happen. See, let me show you the scripture in second Timothy chapter four. Are you guys, are you guys with me this morning? Okay. Second Timothy chapter four. Oh, it looks like we lost all our viewers. Anyway, um, this is a joke. Come on. That was funny. Uh, second Timothy chapter four. I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead, his appearing and his kingdom. This is his marching orders. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers and they'll turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Again, like acts of service aren't bad and loving people isn't bad and, and being giving and all these other things are not bad, but we've got to stay focused on what the kingdom is. The only way you get people into the kingdom is you have to get them to turn away from their sins and get them to submit to the rulership of Christ. Here's the last part of it. Last part, I mean, turning the corner, not fold up your Bibles. In this scripture, what we see is Jesus is about preaching the kingdom, but he's also about healing. Praise God. 
healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Then his fame went throughout all of Syria. And he brought to him all the sick people who were afflicted and various diseases and torments and those who were demon-possessed and epileptics and paralytics. And he healed them. Great multitudes followed him. I fully believe that the Holy Spirit can heal and perform miracles today, just like in the Bible. I am not what you call a cessationist. I don't think that magically there's parts of the Bible that are no longer true. I don't believe that at all. But we've got to understand is that whenever uh, miracles happened, it was always followed by a message. Miracles in and of themselves were never the point of the ministry. The ministry was the miracle. The ministry of the miracles was for the message. So Jesus could draw crowds. People, I mean, and that's just how people are, right? If they're getting fed, they'll come around. But then that's the moment to be able to preach the message and the message of the kingdom. And the message of the kingdom was repent from your sins, submit to God, let him be your ruler. Matthew 9, 35. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. <clears throat> this is why I do not believe that healing in and of itself is what the kingdom is about. And there are people out there that believe this, where they say like, well, you know, the kingdom of God is manifest when we go out and heal people. The problem with that is, is that a healing without a message, then you just send a well-healed person off to hell. So, I mean, if, if you got a bum elbow and someone's like, hey, will you pray for me? And it's like, yeah, man, your elbow is better. And like, great. And then you just go out and live their lives. You've done nothing for them. They've got to have the message of repentance. They've got to have the message of the cross. It's always connected to the preaching of the world of the word healing and preaching always go hand in hand that these presence of God services that don't lead people to repentance are a waste of time. Now you guys know my friend Raymond Birch, he flows this way. And if you guys haven't seen him flow, bro, he flow. It's, it's just one of these things. He's got the special anointing and people get healed and they fall out and it's, it's beautiful to watch and he'll be here sometime next year, I'm sure. And some people are like, wow, you know, but what happens is that when people find out the prophets coming to town, then all these people that aren't committed to God and his church come around and they just want the, the splash zone of Shamu where they can get wet. You know what I mean? <laughs> And they'll come up here and they'll fall out and they'll weep and they'll get healed and then they'll march back out that door and they'll go live like the world. Amen. And Pastor Birch preaches repentance. He preaches full submission to God and away from your sins and everything else. But people don't want that. They just want the tinglies and the feelies and the fallouts and all this other stuff. And then they go out and they just live like the world. And it's worthless. It's totally and completely worthless without a message of the cross. Healing is for today and yesterday and is clear in scripture, but it has to be connected to the message of the cross. Jeremiah 17, 14, heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me and I shall be saved for you are my praise. Throughout the old and the new Testament, we see Christ, excuse me, we see God's healing all throughout. I can say Christ, Christ is in the old Testament too. Psalm 41, three, the Lord will strengthen him on his bed of illness. You will sustain him on his sick bed. Psalm 103, 2 and 4, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with the loving kindness and tender mercies. The Bible is clear that God still heals people. Some people say, well, why didn't he heal so-and-so? And you know what my answer is? I don't know. I don't know why. I don't know why I prayed for people with brain cancer and, and, and literally like the brain cancer leaves. And then I got a bum elbow that's been hurting for the last two months. I don't know. That guy's alive. I'm still alive. My elbow hurts, but I'm doing okay. God isn't God. I'm still praying for that healing. I'm sure that guy that got his brain cancer fixed is super excited about it. 
But I'm not going to, I'm not going to say that, I, mean, I don't know, maybe it's a thorn in my flesh. Maybe God's trying to teach me something. Maybe it's God's just keeping me humble, but I, I'm still going to, I'm not going to not pray for you because my elbow hurts. I'm still going to take God in his word. I'm still going to worship and say, God, would you heal my elbow, please? I'm really tired of this pain. Don't come to me after service and be like, have you tried this? Please. <laughs> yes, I'm trying it all. Okay. It's just tendonitis. I'm not dying. I'll be fine. James 5, 4 and 15. Is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Friend, I will continue to pray for the sick and dying as long as I live. Not because I have powerful belief, but because I have belief in God and his word. I want you to live with an expectation that God is a healer. That God can heal your physical body and the bodies of other people because it'll be a testimony to people that you can use as a means to be able to share the gospel. If, if you are sick and you get healed and someone says, hey, what, what happened to you, man? Let me tell you about Mr. Jesus. I don't care that he healed my body. I care that he healed my mind. I care that he healed my sickness of sin. That's 10 times more important. The only reason why he healed me is so I can bring this message to you. And again, people minimize this gift because they haven't seen somebody healed or they haven't prayed for someone and seen them healed, but that's no reason to stop asking God. Peter and John prayed and believed that God would use them in the ministry of healing. Acts 4.30, by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. 3 John uh, chapter 2 says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. And lastly, Luke 9.1, that he called the 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. Healing in and of itself isn't the answer, but... Again, uh, look, look, at, look at me as a person. If I'm healed and I'm living, I have more of an opportunity to be able to preach about Jesus. So when people are healed, they live longer and they can preach about Jesus, but it's not the end in and of itself. Does this all make sense this morning? Did you guys get something out of it? All right, let's close our eyes. Let's bow our heads. Hey, if you're here this morning, you're not a Christian. We want to invite you to become one. And this goes for people that are watching online and well. you've never uh, given your life to Jesus I want to give you an opportunity to do that today it's really quite easy either a Christian or you're not if you've given your life to Jesus or you haven't if you've never given your life to Jesus you've never said man I want to be a Christian I want to be in his kingdom you must leave the kingdom of this world and enter into the kingdom of Jesus you leave that sin and you say Jesus I want to be forgiven of my sin I want to be set free Jesus gives full forgiveness, brand new citizenship, whole new passport. If you've never made that decision before to say, I want to be a Christian, you want to do that today, I want you to raise your hand right now and we're going to pray for you. Is there anybody that needs to make that decision for the first time? Hand held high. I can see it. Pray for you. Maybe you've lost sight of your citizenship need to rededicate your life. You'd say, man, I don't know what happened, man. I gave up my citizenship. I've been living in the world. I've been living for Jesus. Jesus came back today. He would not take me because I am not a citizen of his kingdom. If you need to submit to Jesus again today, say, Lord, just receive me back in your kingdom. He's right there. He's just standing right behind you. Turn around, fall into his arms. He loves you. He forgives you, but you have to appropriate it. You have to fall back into his arms. 
you need to make that decision today, I want you to raise your hand, rededicate your life to Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. He loves you. He receives you. You're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Father, help us all to live with an expectation of your kingdom within our hearts, God. Let it be to your glory. Let it be to your power. Father, we submit to your rulership over our hearts today. Thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for watching. Amen. Hey, we want to thank you so much for being online with us today. I want to remind you, if you're not a follower on Facebook, please like our page on YouTube. Please subscribe. Follow us on Twitter. Tell all your friends. Continue to watch online. We thank you for watching. We love you so much. Have a great day.